0: Hi, My name's Jake. Hi. Uh, I'm going to be bringing uh, a sermon this morning. And before I do that, I wanted to just kind of give a little shout out to Nick. Nick had an article that he'd written, published in Christianity Today's digital edition this last week. So (laughs) nice one. Uh, The season of Lent that we're in right now has been something that's been really meaningful to Nick for um, a number of years. And it was great to see him put that in words And just to be able to put that out in the world as a blessing to the wider church, the wider Christian community. So good on you, Nick. Um, We're going to be looking some further. Let me get my notes arranged. Just a second. I'm not smooth and practiced at this yet. (laughs) We're going to be here uh, in the book of John, as we have been. um, Considering some of the signs and miracles of Jesus. And we're going to be considering a specific one this morning. Uh, to get into that, um, just a show of hands, has anyone lost power in the last month? Yeah, quite a few of us, right? Does that upend life a little bit, have you found? No? Ken's like, yeah, it's, just been, it's been nice, camping in my home. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we use, at my house, uh, sound machines, little white noise machines to, um, to help my kids sleep um, to help me sleep as well. And, uh, and when the power goes out, these machines um, fail. And we have prepared for this by purchasing backup battery-powered machines, but we never really tested the sounds on them. <laughs> and they're remarkably different from the plug-in variety. Uh, That we have and uh, and they sound awful like the white noise is just a scratching sound The rain sound is sort of more like blooping mud on a roof. It's it's not soothing in any way (laughs) And um, and this wasn't gonna work and the the growing darkness a couple weeks ago. Well, we were having this uh, panic I was having this panic around um, How are we going to? uh, to help, especially my son, who has a hard time falling asleep, how are we going to help him fall asleep? Um, was just It got more and more difficult because uh, life got upended, and in the darkness, it got harder to figure out um, everything that had to do with that. Um, darkness is something that we, uh, with electric light, are not used to having to wrestle with. Um, being sort of plunged into darkness is something... That, uh, that is unfamiliar to us, we like to be able to control our environment in that way, and this morning we 're going to consider light and darkness we 're going to consider one of jesus 's signs that has to do with who he is as the light of the world. Uh, in the book of John, there are seven specific miracles that Jesus uh, enacts in his ministry that Jesus does, and, and john 's uh, wanting to to build each miracle upon the other, to show over the course of Jesus' ministry his power and his authority and his uniqueness. Uh, So far in this series, we've witnessed Jesus change water to wine, Jesus heal a paralyzed man, Uh, Jesus heal a sick child from a distance, Jesus feed more than 5,000 with loaves and fishes, and Jesus walk on water. Each sign is unique. Each sign tells us something more about who Jesus is, and each sign engages people in their hurt, in their need, or in their fear. John Riemenschnitter reminded us last week that um, in this sign of Jesus walking on water, we have Jesus present and in control of the natural world. Jesus going out into this chaotic environment with the waters upheaving around the disciples, just walking on it. We witness the power and authority and uniqueness of Jesus in that. And today, we're going to witness Jesus healing a man who was born blind. Today's passage is in the Gospel of John chapter 9. If you'd like to turn in a scripture you may have brought, if you'd like to tap on your device to John chapter 9, or if you'd like to simply read along on the screen, it's going to be there as well. Let's read the first seven verses together. As he went along... He saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, and this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Have any of you recently walked down town in Mountain View on Castro Street? Little nods. Maybe you've walked downtown uh, Palo Alto on University Avenue. In either of these settings, you've likely encountered someone who's homeless, someone who's asking for money. These situations are not dissimilar to what Jesus and his disciples are experiencing right here. As they walk along, they meet this man who is asking for money, this man who is on the ground begging, and this man is blind. The physical limitation of blindness in the first century context almost always led to this kind of a life, a life of begging. And Jesus pays attention to him. His disciples ask him this question that's not too different from a question that I have asked myself, maybe a question that you have asked yourself in similar situations. How did it come to this? The disciples ask this question in a specific kind of way, though. They're asking this question in a way that connects this man's current circumstances to some kind of guilt. They have this preset thinking that kicks in, asking who is to blame for this way of living? Who is to blame for this distressing situation? And this question is looking backwards, trying to imagine what choices would have deserved a life like this. Retributive justice is something that was common in the ancient world retribution. If bad things happen, it's because you did bad things. If good things happen, it's because you've done good things. God rewards the righteous and punishes the guilty, right? Is our thinking all that different today? I was talking with some parents on the sideline of my son's soccer practice this last week, and the topic of homelessness in San Francisco specifically came up. And in that conversation, rotted alongside some words about, oh, it's so sad, and if only we could do better, and if only we could get our politics right. There were these familiar words that, that I've heard often that are designed to create some distance between that circumstance, that hard situation, and us. Why do they come here? It's probably the weather. It's migratory homelessness. They probably came here to be homeless to be on our streets because it's warmer than wherever they came from. And then as it got uncomfortable, the topic quickly shifted away. Don't we want to distance ourselves from hardship, especially the hardship of others, to create some sort of space between our experience and theirs? It's easy to blame, to assign some sort of guilt And then to say they're on our streets, to be frustrated with them for their condition, how quickly our compassion can bleed away. I was amazed in this conversation. It was gone in about 30 seconds. Look at Jesus' response here in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying here that the realities of brokenness in the world do not always equate to personal guilt. Maybe this is a better way of saying this. Brokenness in a life does not always equal sinfulness in that life. Brokenness in a life does not always equal sinfulness in that life. This is pretty significant. This response of Jesus is upending common social understandings of their time, End of our time. It's throwing a wrench in the way that we would normally be thinking about things. Jesus is saying, no, it wasn't a secret sin of his parents. No, it's not some secret sin of his. There isn't anything to confess. Jesus doesn't, however, explain away the misery. He doesn't really give much attention to the past at all. Jesus pulls the attention forward. Jesus doesn't let the standard narrative continue, He insists that the justice of God doesn't work like that. And then he pushes the attention forward. It can feel like this response of Jesus in verse 3 is portraying God as setting people up for misery. This later part of verse 3, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him, can easily sound like God's causing this painful circumstance just so he can show off a few years later. Right? But... As Jesus is saying this, he doesn't actually address that question, at least not with words. He doesn't dismantle this assumption with his words. He dismantles it with his presence, the simple cause and effect paradigm that disciples ask their question. He's turning their attention away from the sin, and he's pulling their attention toward what God's going to do. Jesus is emphasizing that in this current circumstance, God is going to do something. God's power is going to be on clear display in this broken circumstance. And this is important. In our broken world, in the hurt and the hardship, God is at work. Think with me for a moment about the world that this man lives in. Think about his life. Now, darkness in the ancient Near East was associated with chaos. So with that in mind, what would it mean for your whole world to be darkness? The only sensations that you have are those that have nothing to do with sight. You got sound, touch, smell, taste. How would these words sound to you as a first century Israelite wanting to be devoted to God? These words from the Torah, Genesis 1, 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. When your whole world is darkness, how do you even conceive of light? How do you even imagine sight if you've never had it? One thing you would know for sure is that the world was made for people with it, and you're excluded from that world. To not have sight meant total dependence on others, on the charity of your neighbors, on the kindness of strangers. And it's into this circumstance now that Jesus starts to talk about himself as being the light of the world. The same way that God, who brought forth the first light with his word, Jesus is now about to bring light into the literal darkness of this man's world. This sign, this miracle, about along with these words about being the light of the world, are Jesus aligning himself in an audacious way with God. Aligning himself as the Lord over creation. And into this broken situation, Jesus brings creation power. Jesus is bringing creation power into this broken situation. I'm going to medically geek out for a moment here with you. Can you join me in this geek out moment? This is like taking a slight break from, from this, but I just, I got excited about this. Um, but I'm going to call you out, Esther. Have you ever heard of amblyopia? You have. You can raise your hand. <laughs> I had not, but while working on this passage, I had the chance to sit down with my friend, Esther Chang, your friend and mine. To ask her a few questions about eyes. Esther is a doctor with a specialization in eyes and eye surgery. And she told me about amblyopia as part of our discussion. Now, this most often turns up today as lazy eye or lazy eye syndrome. But the, the amblyopic or the critical aspect of this condition is that the eye becomes disconnected from the brain's interpretation. The neural pathway breaks down between the eyeball and the brain. And so in the case of blindness, if it's left untreated, this neural tissue connecting the eye to the brain will simply degenerate if left enough time. And once the connection is gone, it's impossible to revive it. The neural tissue cannot be regenerated. This man has been born blind. So even if there's something that could have been done to repair some form of damage to the eyeball itself, there's nothing to be done about the amblyopia. Irreversible in the first century, irreversible today in the 21st century. What Jesus did in bringing light to this man is bringing life to neural tissue, connecting the eye to the brain. A miracle then, a miracle now. Jesus is bringing creation power into this broken situation. Now the whole middle of this story, verses 8 through 34, unfold in a bunch of detail about the interrogations that the religious authorities inflict on this man and his family. Rather than read through it, I'll just summarize here. The religious leaders are resisting anything that has to do with Jesus. They try over and over again to discredit this healing They debate if this man was actually healed. They drag in his parents to see if he was really born blind. They accuse this man of being born entirely in sin and ultimately get so angry that they throw this man out. That likely meant throwing him out of participation in all of community life, both religiously and socially. Which might have felt worse if you hadn't just been cured of blindness. Like if you hadn't just had sight restored to you and you've never had it, Maybe you would have been a little bit more frustrated. He just seems to get a little bit saucy with them and kind of debates about whether they want to be disciples of Jesus too. He doesn't even, he's never even seen Jesus yet. He goes to this pool to wash. He's only heard Jesus's voice. Um, But he's kind of like, if this is all I've got is hanging out with you guys, I'm definitely going with Jesus. (laughs) The thing that stands out loud and clear in this passage is just how locked into spiritual blindness the religious leaders are. It's heartbreaking to notice how once this man is made physically whole, he isn't surrounded in celebration by his community. Instead, he's suspected as an imposter, he's insulted, and he's rejected. The religious leaders can't stand to recognize that Jesus has done the miraculous, and they lose sight of the beautiful and the good thing that has happened to their fellow neighbor, to their fellow Jew, their countrymen, to their fellow human. They lose sight of God at work. Literally, they get blind to it. They can no longer see the life flourishing up in front of them. So rather than rejoice, they interrogate and reject. It's a lot to load onto this guy. He doesn't even fully know who Jesus is. He's not seemingly aware of Jesus' teaching. Like I said, he hasn't even seen him yet. He's just heard his voice. All he has is a name and an experience. The way this guy puts it is disarming, so straightforward. He says, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It's pretty pretty simple, pretty clear, pretty experiential. I once was blind, and now I see. And the gospel author, John, is preparing us through all of these failings of the healed man's community, to really see that Jesus is the one with something better. Jesus is the one that is bringing life. Here's something to hold on to. Because believing in Jesus, believing into Jesus, will complicate life. We're using this phrase, into, or this word, into, as we talk about belief in Jesus, believing into Jesus pretty purposefully in this series. Because we're trying to not just convey belief in a concept, acquiescence to an idea, but that belief into Jesus is a, a new way to live. It's a new way to be a human being. Belief into Jesus is something we're doing with our whole selves, our whole lives, And doing this, believing in this way, will lead us into broken places in the world. It will have you caring about broken people. It will have you investing yourself in broken communities. But that's where the works of God are most on display. The works of God are made most visible in places of hurt and brokenness. The works of God are made most visible in places of brokenness. This is something that we at Highway are, are seeking to facilitate at our missional campus. This is a big part of what my work on staff is about. If the, work, if the people of God will show up in the places of brokenness, then the works of God will be most visible there. We talked about the Hotel de Zinc homeless shelter uh, earlier in the announcement time. That's what this shelter is about. That's what our participation in the shelter is about. That's what our participation in places like Hope's Corner is about, where we make and provide meals for the hungry. This is why we're tutoring at the day worker center. This is why we are bringing groceries to the RVs parked in the places around the city. This is why we're building friendships in these contexts. Letting the works of God be seen. Our testimony is not nice people doing nice things. Our testimony is that we are walking in the way of Jesus, who himself drew near to broken situations, just like this one. It's through Jesus that new creation happens. It's through Jesus that restoration happens. This kind of incarnational God-with-us work is what happens when the people of God enter into areas of brokenness. So I want to encourage you to show up in these places, there's still space to sign up for being a part of the Hotel Des Zinc Homeless Shelter. Make some food and come sit with our guests. Share in a conversation that you might feel awkward in. I get it. It can be hard to find common ground. The life experiences are different. But you can do it. You can totally do it. Call me up. I'll come with you. When you do... When you're present and willing to be in the complexity of a messy situation, the works of God can be made visible. Let's pick back up with our story. In John 9, verse 35 to 41, we read these words. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. This is talking about the man. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked What are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Have you ever had a fight with a friend or a family member? And there's been this distance created between you? Have you ever suffered through a sickness and been separated away from those that you know and love? And in either of these situations, one of the significant things that we want is to be reached out to. To be found. For the estrangement to be over. For you to share in life again. True confession, I snore. This is a... life situation that I have. I snore badly sometimes. I have tried various solutions right now. I have a little unit. Check it out. It's called a Sleep Nora. Here's a picture of it. (laughs) Woo! It's essentially a thin inflatable paddle that you tuck into your pillowcase. It's connected to an air compressor, and there's a sensor involved too. And when you start to snore, the sensor hears it, kicks on the compressor, fills up the paddle, and pushes your head around so you stop snoring, but you don't wake up. <laughs> it's great stuff. Great stuff. It kind of works. Sometimes you sleep through it, and then in the morning you're like, why does my neck feel so like worn out? And other times it wakes you up. So anyway, it blocks the snoring a portion of the time. It, it, it does, but only kind of. Sometimes it's just all too much. I'm having a bad night. Norris pushed my head around, but the snoring just continues, and I'll go sleep on the couch. We call those nights, me and my wife, we call them Snore Fests. It's a festival of snore. It's a rebranding effort that's trying to make us feel better about the last night, but it doesn't really work because it's been pretty junky sleep. But every time this happens, um, my wife tells me the next day that even though she wasn't sleeping well with me snoring beside her, she also didn't sleep well because I was absent. And so even with my snor- noisy, lame snoring, my presence was missed. Aw, right? <laughs> Love. I feel the same way. Seriously, the presence of one another is powerful. Sometimes it's the most powerful thing that we can offer to someone, especially someone in a place of hurt and brokenness. Being with people really matters being present in those places can be so significant. So in considering the power of presence and considering that Jesus is the one who starts the whole thing, when he first took notice of this man way back in verse 1, later on when Jesus hears of all that he's been through, all that this man has struggled through and suffered in the rejection of his community, Jesus goes to find him. Jesus notices and Jesus Jesus goes. Jesus notices, and Jesus goes. The encounter, first initiated by Jesus. The reconnection with this man, later on is initiated by Jesus. It is Jesus who draws near in both meetings. It is Jesus who sees and moves toward for the physical healing, and second, for this restoration spiritually by inviting him both to see and believe. Do you believe in the Son of Man, is what Jesus asks. And then the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. And here's something to take note of. This is the first and the only time in the whole book of John, the whole gospel, that anyone is described as worshiping Jesus. This man has experienced healing in his physical self, but after all these encounters with skeptics and baffled neighbors... And the way his parents washed their hands of him and then getting thrown out, now he sees with greater insight than anyone else. Now he sees the divinity of Jesus. This man recognizes that God has drawn near to him. His only possible response is worship. With eyes now opened on the world, with light now and sight now a part of his world, His eyes are opened to Christ's divinity, and the man sees better than anyone else. He recognizes not just the rabbiness of Jesus, not just the prophet box that people want to put Jesus in. The man sees the incarnate God fully worthy of worship. The only right response is worship. Jesus is more than fulfillment of prior expectations. All these signs happen within the superstructure of this one great miracle of the incarnation, the physical presence of God with us. All these signs in John's gospel, water to wine, healings, feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, these are all emphasizing the unique power and authority of Jesus. The expectations for Messiah are being gathered together here. Rabbi, prophet, and king, But then he is surpassing them all because he is more. He is the son of God. He is the word. He is the logos. The apostle Paul will later articulate this as he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus addressed the social shame of this man by declaring that his condition was not linked to any guilt. He addresses the physical affliction of this man by healing his eyes. He displays creation power by bringing light to what was dark. He brings life to what has died. And Jesus came back to bring this man into full relationship with him. The gospel author is hoping that we will also recognize, along with this healing man, healed man, that Jesus is the Son of God that we would believe into him, and that we also might have life. As Nick and the band come on back up to lead us in some more song, some more time of musical worship, I'd like to propose uh, that we change this guy's name. We never know what his actual name is, but he gets called the man who was born blind all the time. Uh, I wonder if a name change is in order here because that's not where this guy stays. He is the man who has been healed. He's the man who has given sight. I want to emphasize this because we too can be defined by our healing. We can be defined by our healing. I'm not sure... Whatever it is that you have carried into this room this morning. What anxieties or worries you have. It might be conflicts that you have no idea how to resolve. It might be addictions that plague you. It might be fears about your future or regrets about your past. Fears about provision or loss that you cannot get over. Maybe it's even hard to imagine what healing would look like, but you know that in this moment you are lacking. You know that this moment you have need. You're sitting in the dust, unable to imagine what light even is. So to all of us, I want to invite you to listen for the voice of Jesus asking, do you believe? Can you trust me? to speak light into your darkness? Can you trust me to revive that which has maybe been long dead? To bring life where there is brokenness? I'd like to invite us to live with an expectation that Jesus will notice and Jesus will come and draw near to us and that he will draw us forward to him, that he will draw us up from beggar to worshiper. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, we know that life can be unpredictable. And we know that there are brokenness and sorrows in our world in our individual lives, in our small communities. Lord, we know people that have suffered. We know suffering that we have experienced ourselves. So God, I want to just thank you for this picture that you have given to us of how you come so near as to be able to reach in and give us sight to be able to give us life and to call us into something new open God our eyes to be able to see you spiritually to be able to see you as you fully are Lord would it strengthen us would it Would it make us like this man, saucy in the face of criticism or critique? That you are other than you are. That you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I pray that you would also just bless us with a humility when we are in places of brokenness and hurt. Would you help us, God, to be able to, as you have, and as you call us as your disciples to, go forward into these places of brokenness, that we might be agents of your healing, that we might not have an overinflated sense of ourselves, but that we might give glory to you as the one who brings life where there is not, as the one who brings light where there is darkness. We love you, God, and we thank you, for who you are. We pray, God, that you would call us further to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.